Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Creative power of your words. And I want to read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, everyone say, God said. That's what He did. He just said, let there be light. And guess what? What he spoke came into existence. There's incredible power in your spoken word. There's creative power in your word. God speaks. He says, let there be light. And there was light. What he spoke came to pass. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that what he created was good. And he said, it is good. Let the light, uh, sorry, let, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. Question, what did God use to create the world? His words. His words spoke creation into existence. On the first day, He said, let there be light and there was light. It's an amazing thought. Everything that we see today, all the birds, the bees, the trees, the clouds, the sky, the hills, the sea, all those incredible forms of creation came at the spoken word of God. Birds, boom. It wasn't, it just wasn't a sweat for God. He just spoke and there they were. Fish, boom. Ants, boom. Mosquitoes, boom. Just to give us patience. Trees, boom. Hills, boom. Valleys, boom. It's an amazing thing. God spoke and the world was formed. And just as He created His world with His words, so you and I will create our world with our words. What we say ultimately is what we are going to receive. Just as God said, let there be and there was, so it's the same for you. And me. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man who he also created to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. All the creatures that God had created, He brought before man and what man spoke over that creation, that was its name. That's an amazing thought. And so when this big long necked animal walked past, He said, giraffe, and it was so. And when this big fat grey animal walked past, He said, hippopotamus, and it was so. What God brought before Him He waited to see what man would call it. And I felt God say in my preparing today that there are some things God is bringing before it 
before us, waiting to see what we call it. He's bringing trials. He's bringing tests. There are forms of temptation coming our way. And He waits to see what you and I will do with those things that are brought our way and what label we will give to it. And He waits. And at that moment, what we speak over that thing will be what it is. If we see a trial as something that's devastating and it's going to take me down and it's going to take my life, guess what? That's what's going to happen. And that's what is happening. And that's why we have the suicide rate in this nation like we do. And it's one of the highest in the Western world amongst teenagers because they are seeing certain situations and they're not processing well and they're speaking over incorrectly. And as a result, they are taking their lives. What is being brought before you and what, more importantly, are you calling it? Because you can see it from a different perspective and you say, you know what, this is just a trial that's forming me and fashioning me and making me into the man of God or woman of God that He has called me to be. This ain't going to take me down. This isn't going to take my life. This is actually going to accelerate me into the plans and the purposes of God. What are you going to call that comes your way? Because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen to you. People often say, why do bad things happen to good people? Because they do. But it's what we call them. And if we just keep saying, why do these bad things keep happening to me? And we're going to miss the moment to grow and to learn. And we're going to form and shape our world, but it's not going to be the one that God intended us to have. If you call something terrible, guess what? That's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be. If you say, I hate Mondays, it doesn't matter what comes your way, you've already positioned yourself to hate it. And so you can have a great Sunday, but if you hate Mondays, guess what? Everything that took place on Sundays is undone because we hate Mondays. What we call each day, what we call each circumstance, what we call each situation is what it's ultimately going to become to us. And so if we call something terrible, that's what it will be, even if it's not. Even if it's not. You can be given a gift and think the worst and not receive the blessing that has come your way. And so tonight in our short time together, I just want to very quickly highlight a few things around our words and how important our words are. Are you ready for this? Number one, your words reflect your faith. Your words, my words reflect our faith. In Romans chapter 10, verse eight, it says, the word is near you. Question, what word is near you? Is it a positive word? Is it a biblical word? Is it a negative word? The Word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the Word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. The Word confess is a little Greek word called homologia, which simply means to speak the same thing. 
It says when we confess, when we speak the same things. So when it says when we confess our sins, we've got to speak what God is speaking. You can't confess. A confession is not, well, Lord, I'm sorry for doing that, but, but, but it's that woman you gave me. That's not what God is saying about that situation. That's not a confession because it's not saying what God says. This word confess is to say what God says. We must be saying what God is saying about the situation. And if we're not, there won't be agreement. And if there's not agreement, there won't be power. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, Do two walk together unless they have agreement to do so. We have to be saying what God is saying. In Joel chapter 3, it says, Let, says, Let the weakling say that I am strong. And so there's an acknowledgement of feelings. There's an acknowledgement of reality. Let the weakling. That's the acknowledgement. Faith does not ignore the facts. Faith can look the facts fair square in the eye. Let the weakling say, not I am weak. That's not faith. That's just living in the reality. That's just living in the natural realm. But let the weakling say that I am strong. Let the struggling say, I can do this. Let those who feel like they're going to die say, this will not take my life. That's what faith is. It's to confess what God is saying. God is not saying you're useless. So why do we say that so often? God is not saying you're going to die. Give up, give in. He says, when you're feeling weak, you've got to add the word of faith. Because God is not saying you're weak. Remember Gideon, who was hidden away amongst the grain? He was afraid of his life. And what did God call him? He said, Hey, useless, where are you? Is that what he said? So, what do you do in hiding there? Weakling, scaredy cat, fraidy cat. No, he didn't say that. He calls him a mighty man of valour. And here he is hiding. And God knew he was hiding. Faith can face the facts. And in your hiding and in your fear and in your trembling, God says, hey, mighty man of God, mighty woman of God. And at that moment, we have a choice. Are we going to say what God says about us? Or are we going to allow how we are feeling to rob us of our language? And if we go with our feelings, as so many people do, that's all we'll ever be, afraid and hiding away. Thank God that Gideon, in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his trembling, in the midst of his hideout, he was able to agree with God. And be used mightily by God and for God. And I believe there are many mighty men of valour and mighty women of valour in this place. And you're hiding out right now. And I'm calling you out in the name of Jesus and saying, do not allow your circumstance, do not allow your situations to rob you of what God says over your life today. But you've got to confess it. You've got to speak it out. You've got to grab a hold of your circumstance and your situation and declare the promises of God over your circumstance, over your situation. This is the confession of our faith. Our words reflect our faith or our lack of it. 
See, this is not just a positive confession. This has been misunderstood in the body of Christ where people think you can say whatever you want and it's going to happen. I will get a Ferrari. I will get a Ferrari. I will get a Ferrari. That's not what this is talking about. Because maybe God is not saying you will have a Ferrari. It's not just a positive confession. It's a confession based upon the promises of God from God's Word. See, words are the raw material that we use to create our belief system. Words are the raw material that we use to create our belief system. And so again, I come back to that earlier thought. What word is near you? What word is nearest to you? See, we've got to be careful what we listen to. If you have been indoctrinated by the great theologian, Homer Simpson. That's the Word of God that is near you. And that's the Word of God that you will listen to. I'm not against television. I'm not against getting involved in certain series. I cannot stand up here. I would be a hypocrite if I did so and said, I do not watch television and I haven't got addicted to a few little series along the way. I would be lying to you. But we can't allow those words and those mindsets and those thoughts to be the word that is nearest to us. We need to be able to place all of those things and make sure the word of God that is uh, the word that is nearest to us is indeed the word of God. So what is the word that is nearest to you? How much do you read your Bible versus watch just television? These, this, these are the facts. If you're struggling right now, what you watch on television, what you watch on social media, social media is a blessing and a curse, just as television is a blessing and a curse. It becomes a curse when we compare ourselves to what everyone else is doing and what everyone else has got and all the holidays they are going on. We've got a good friend of ours right now. I call her Fiona Gilligan Hodgson. She's stuck on an island somewhere. And she's not returning anytime soon by the look of it because of this volcanic ash. And it's really tempting to say, oh my gosh, here we are in dear old Adelaide, cold, and she's in this warm climate. Oh my gosh, I wish I was stuck on an island right now and missed the point. And so social media and all these things are great if they are in their place. But if that's what we consume ourselves with, then that's the word that's nearest to us and that's where our problems are. And that's why we struggle with our confession because our confession isn't based upon the Word of God. It's based upon another Word and it's a Word that's near us us, and it's probably the one that is found in some television program or some YouTube clip or some social media form or another. So what's the Word of God, or sorry, what's the Word that's nearest to you? Be careful what you listen to. Also be careful who you listen to. We had the privilege on a couple of occasions this year to be in a meeting where Darlene Check shared her testimony about overcoming cancer. And we saw her on the back end of all the treatment. We were able to celebrate with her singing one of the songs she wrote through this experience, a great worship song that came out of that moment that she endured. And it's amazing what she said. She said a number of things, but one was that you've got to be careful 
who you listen to. And she said, it's amazing some of the people that dropped off her life and dropped out of her world in that time. But the other thing she said is, she never Googled her symptoms. She never Googled her symptoms. I know someone who's got a cough and they go to Google and they Google all these symptoms about what it could be. And pretty soon you've talked yourself into something that's life-threatening when all of a sudden you've just got a cough. Don't Google your symptoms. Don't allow somebody else's diagnosis to become your diagnosis. I remember when I had my hip operation, and more importantly, just before that, a few people were telling me, trying to put their horror stories on me. And they would say, oh, do you know what they do? And I lovingly and as graciously as I knew how, had to say, "Uh, no, I don't, and I don't want to know. If I wanted to know what they did, I would have become a hip surgeon. (laughs) But the whole thought grosses me out. I don't want to know. They said, you know, you can Google it. You can watch them performing the operation on people. And apparently that was meant to entice me to go and watch it. For those of you out there that know what they do, keep it yourself. Because I don't want to know what they do. Because I want to stay in faith. I would rather know what God is going to do. And the testimony for me coming through that operation was this. Had the operation and... I remember this button being there to push for any drugs that I may need at any time because of the pain. They said the pain will begin to kick in because the anaesthetic will wear off. And so please, Mr. Rainbow, feel free to use the morphine that is available to you. And I said, sure, I'd love to. (laughs) Um, But it's amazing. Hour after hour went by and I had no pain. And the nurse, she was a cute little thing. She kept coming and saying, Mr. Rainbow, please don't have to tough this out. You don't have to be tough. Which I took that she thought I was tough. <laughs> Might have missed the point, but I took it anyway. Just anything at that moment to stay in faith. And she came back later again and said, Mr. Raymond, you, you, you should you really take use of the morphine. I said, can I let you in on a little secret? I said, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I lead a church. I'm not allowed to take drugs. So when you give me the opportunity to take drugs legally, believe me, I want to take them. And I said, but honestly, I just don't need it right now. I said, if we can arrange for me to take the morphine home and use it at another time when I'm dealing with people in a counselling situation and have that morphine then, I will use it. But right now, I just don't need it. And to this day, which is over 12 months ago, I never, ever needed anything stronger than an aspirin, which was just to keep my blood thin so the blood didn't clot, etc., etc., etc. And I thank God. And I don't know if that would have been the same. I don't know if that would have been the same if I'd Googled and watched what they did. Because apparently they cut you open, they, they saw and they hack and they chop and they chip and they hammer put you upside down, put you on the middle of the road, let cars run over you. 
Is that right? Something like that? I, I don't know. But that's, that's how gross it sounds to me. But I think sometimes we can have too much information. We can just fill our head with the wrong things. And once you know something, it's, it's harder to stay in faith. I, I thank God as, as, as um, we've grown up with our kids, we've really tried to protect our kids from some of the painful situations that we have to um, experience as pastors. We, we, just, we just made it um, a rule that when we drive home from church, we're just going to talk about the good things. We're just going to talk about the great things. We're just going to talk about what a great day it was. And I know as our kids get older, they're going to see some things. They're cluey kids. They're going to notice some things. And, and we'll deal with that if and when. But I don't want to fill their heads too soon in order that they need to grow up fast. You know, when, when you're a six-year-old kid, just so happens to hear the word sex. And they say, hey, Dad, what's sex? And they're six years of age. You don't have to give them the full detailed version of what that is. Yeah, you don't want to fill their head with stuff they don't need to know anything about at that age. And I feel the same way about so much of what we fill our heads with. Google, again, it's a great device. But when we use it just to Google all sorts of things that keep us in a negative mindset, it robs us of the faith that could be ours. We've got to speak the word of faith, and that is to say what God says. So let's not Google our symptoms. Number two, your words determine your course. Psalm 45 verse 1 says, My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You and I are writing a book every time we speak. And the book is about you. You are writing a book about yourself and the words we use to write are the words that we speak. And your words will determine how this book ends. Whether your book ends and they live happily ever after or whether it ends like a nightmare on Elm Street is up to you. How your story ends is going to largely depend on the words that you speak. On many occasions, I've grabbed my wife and said, we are going to have a happily ever after end. And we're not going to get bitter. We're going to get better. We're going to turn every circumstance and every situation that we ever face or endure and we're going to work it together for good because God is working all things together for the good. And this is not killing us, this is making us. And we've done that over and over and over again. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Your words will determine how your book ends. I was talking to a young man recently and he said this, I was shocked. He said, I'm going to go to jail one day. And I said, why do you say that? Why would you say, I mean, for a young man like yourself, you know, I'd expect I'm going to be a footballer one day. I'm going to be a fireman one day. This is a young kid. I'm going to be a policeman when I grow up. This kid says, I'm going to go to jail when I'm older. I said, why do you say that? He says, because my mum has been in jail and my dad has been in jail. So I'm going to go to jail. And you know what? And I looked at this kid. I thought that's probably where he's going to end up. Just by virtue of the words 
he's speaking over his life. What a sad day that a young kid, who probably at that age didn't even know what jail is, is prophesying. That's where he's going to end up. We live in a very broken world. And that's why I love the church. It's the hope to this nation. And I'm forever going to be loud and proud about the church with all of its shortcomings, with all of its failures, because it's still better than the world at its best. The church at its worst is still better than the world at its best. Cue to applause. Likewise, I've seen many people who said, I'm not going to get married. I said, well, why wouldn't you want to get married? Ah, uh, because it doesn't work. Why would you say that? Ah, uh, because my mum and dad got divorced. And they're prophesying over themselves what's going to happen to their life and allowing other people's circumstances and other people's circum- situations to rob them of what God would have for them. You know, there's some great men and women throughout history and they've learned to overcome incredible odds. You know, Winston Churchill, he became Prime Minister of the United Kingdom around the time of World War II and was an incredible influence on that nation at the time. But this man who became an incredible influence uh, failed the entrance exam for the Royal Military College twice. He hit a rocky patch in his political career, which were known as the wilderness years between 1929 and 1939, during which time he was estranged from his political party over ideological disagreements. But he is also famously known for saying this, success is not final and failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. In his highs and in his lows, in his failures and his, in his successes, he was managed to keep speaking a positive word. And we see this over and over and over again. The Beatles, it says, when the Fab Four were just starting out, the first record company they approached neglected them, or sorry, rejected them on the grounds that they didn't like their sound and that guitar music was on its way out. To that they responded, we're going to the top. Which top? We're going to the very top. Your words are far more powerful that you say over yourself than what anyone else says over you. Sometimes it's just good to take what other people say and say, that's okay for you to be wrong. Sometimes you just got to look at them, love them and say, it's okay. You can be wrong. Because I know this to be sure. I would not be where I am today if I listened to everybody who wanted to have a word of advice for me and to me. And that's probably true for many of you out there today. You know Emily Blunt? She's a, a, an actress and in many uh, films. Um, Devil Wears Prada. She was in that film with Tom Cruise. Um, what is it called? Oblivion. Is that what it's called? No, it wasn't Oblivion. Edge of Tomorrow, that's the one. And uh, when she was a child, she had a stutter. 
And, and she had one of those teachers that thought outside the square. Someone in your corner that thinks outside the square. I like that. And uh, she was a drama teacher. And she said, what I want you to do when we do the school play, I want you to use an accent. I want you to do your lines, but I want you to do them with an accent. And she found that when she used an accent, she didn't stutter. Sometimes you've got to change the way you speak in order to overcome what you are saying. Sometimes you've got to do something different. If what you're doing right now isn't working for you, change it up. I, 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 try, I stay in my bedroom and I try and pray and I just get negative. Okay, go for a walk around the block. Do something different. Change your environment. Do something to make sure that your words match the confession of our faith. So whether it's the Beatles, Winston Churchill, or Emily Blunt, or Mitchie Rainbow, this kid was told, we were told to abort. And we said, uh, no, thank you. Just because they picked up something that they didn't like, that was abnormal. What is normal, by the way? And they said, uh, we strongly advise you to abort. We said, thank you, but no thank you. And then they got stronger with us, challenging our parenting and our irresponsibility. And we had to, at that moment, speak a strong word in order to hold on to our convictions. And I'm a fairly strong personality by nature and I had to fight at that moment. I think about people who, who, who have different personality types who get talked into things. My heart broke for those that have been talking out of, talked out of, sorry, so many great things. I love this story particularly on nights like tonight, when I see a young man who was told to um, be aborted, standing on stage, leading us in worship tonight. It's an amazing thing. He stands up here, he's got confidence, he's got God on his side, and he just leads. But he leads. But there was a time they said, kill him. And this is what I said. I said to Kath, if he was born normal, inverted commas, whatever that is, and had an accident where he lost some digits, do we have a right at that moment to put him to death? I mean, that was where my thinking came from. I mean, imagine that. You have an accident and you lose an arm. And you're looking at your son there, he's lost it. Oh boy, better kill him then. I'm not trying to be crass, but that's what we were faced with. And I said, are we able to play God at that moment? No. What would happen? We'd get locked up. Then why do I get the right to play God at this moment? It was done. It was settled. It was settled. It was settled. It was settled because we were speaking what God would have spoken. And we entrusted ourselves to God at that moment. And as we have done it, you can do it. And come through those tough days, tough times. 
Number three, your words are a matter of life and death. Proverbs 18, verse 21, the tongue has power of life and death. Come up here, Kathy. We're almost done. Proverbs 18, verse 21, what did I say? The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. What you say will determine how alive you feel. I've done this already tonight. How are you going? Uh, okay. Really? You want to put a limit on your life of okay? Really? Because if you say okay, guess what? You'll be okay. But you're going to get really annoyed with me because I'm always going to be better than you. Because I'm always going to be better than okay. And, and it's, just, it's just a position. This is a great day to be alive. This is a great day to be alive. And I want to be sensitive to those that are struggling. I get it. But it's still a great day to be alive. And don't limit your reality to just okay. Not bad. Not bad. What does not bad mean? Does not bad mean I'm actually bad? Worse than bad? Because not bad it would be like worse. Not bad, terrible. What does not bad mean? Can you see we put a death sentence over our life with the words that we speak? If you say it, that's what you're going to experience. Again, I want to be respectful to what doctors do and the help that they bring. But for me, doctors really are a last resort. Because doctors are there to diagnose. And once they diagnose, you're kind of left at whatever they say. And again, with all due respect to the doctors that are in this place today and the incredible work that they do, and I thank God for them. I've got a new hip because of them. Thank you. But I think sometimes we just, we place more faith in doctors. And we just run to this thing and to that thing for quick fixes instead of just holding our line. Esau, a character in the Old Testament, sold his birthright for a lousy meal. Do you know why? Now, a birthright in our day and generation doesn't mean too much. But it meant a lot back in the day. And he sold his future. He sold his inheritance. Why? Because he was hungry. And what did he say? He said, I'm starving to death. What good is a birthright to me when I'm starving to death? The reality was he was just hungry. He wasn't starving to death. He was just being led by his feelings at that moment. And whenever you're going through a tough time, tough times tend to exaggerate how we're feeling. So we take just being hungry to I'm starving to death. Or if you're like our kids, they stand in front of the cupboard. There's nothing to eat. I mean, the cupboard's just full of food. What they're saying is there's no chocolate donuts. That's what they're saying. There's nothing to eat. I'm dying. You know, Esau wasn't starving to death. 
But the moment he sold his birthright, he did kill his future. He spoke something into existence that actually wasn't true. We've got to be careful what we say. Particularly when we're in hard times. You ever been a little bit tired and walking around all day and you say this? You ever found yourself saying this? My feet are killing me. I always think that's funny. Because I have this picture of your feet somehow punching, kicking you and, and killing you. Like a foot picking up a knife and stabbing you or something. I mean, that would be real. My foot is now killing me. But we just mean they're sore. And I want to say at that moment, your feet aren't killing you, your words are. What about this one? Heard this one lots. Everyone hates me. The whole world is against me. Newsflash. Most of the world doesn't even know you exist. See what hard times too? We exaggerate. And you never, or you always, they're just words that aren't true. You never encourage me. What, never? I've never encouraged you. Never. Really. Maybe that attitude stopped you hearing all the hundreds of times we have. Our words are powerful. It's okay to laugh. It's okay, it's not a sin. It's actually right because I'm funny. <laughs> it's okay, you can laugh. With my hip replacement, it's funny. Some, some of the things people put on you, sometimes it's in jest, sometimes it's for other reasons. So I had a hip replacement. Oh, well, you're not as young as you used to be. <laughs> well, that's not false. I mean, I'm not as young as I was when I first got on stage. I'm 25 minutes older. I mean, it's always true. I'm, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be. Oh, I just got a little bit older. <laughs> it's true. I'm not as young as I used to be. It's true. But I'm not dead. See, some people try and bury you before your time. And at that moment, we've got to watch what we say. Because you start saying, well, yeah, I am not as young as I used to be. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that anymore. Maybe I should stop this. Maybe I shouldn't lead a home group anymore. I'm not as young as I used to be. Maybe I shouldn't go to church as often anymore because I'm not as young as I used to be. Hey, I want to say, if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're breathing air, you've got a purpose and a mandate to fulfill. And number four, as the whole band comes up, I forgot I had a fourth point. I thought it was only three. <laughs> Your words affect others. Proverbs 15 verse four, it says, The tongue that brings life and healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16 verse 24 says, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. See, what you say determines how alive you make others feel. 
And with your words, you can build up and you can destroy. You've heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Oh, I wish that was true. But this is what I found to be true. The sticks and stones that broke our bones, they're just great war stories now. We can laugh about them. How many of you have ever broken a bone? You've got a good story to tell. I mean, if you look at Mitchie's face closely, he's got heaps of scars. And there's a story for every scar. We laugh at those things. One day he was jumping on the bed. I'll never forget, he had Bob the Builder bed. He's just jumping. He's holding on to Buzz Lightyear and he falls off the bed. He puts his hand out to save himself. But Buzz Lightyear's wing sticks straight in his face. He comes out with Buzz Lightyear. And he was in pain, but he was more afraid that he'd get in trouble for jumping on the bed. So he didn't know whether to cry or be afraid. I've still got Buzz Lightyear in my cheek, haven't I? <laughs> I just, just... They're scars and they're stories. But I know of people that hold on to things for years and years and years over what somebody said or what they perceived. And it's time to be set free. It's time to let some of those things go. We need to be ones that speak life. You can't do life without experiencing some bad days and hearing some sad things. But we need to speak words of life over people. I thank God as a young boy growing up, that's what my dad did for me. Told the story many times before, but when I was a young, young kid, they used to grab my arms and say, your arms are massive. You're my little super boy. And it's amazing what they did for me. I just thought I was super boy. Hence why I used to jump off the roof as often as I did and just land on the grass and just carry on. And... But it was a positive confession. And it's something we've tried to do with our kids and it's something I've tried to do for this church. But I remember BJ when she was very young and I used to tell her a, good night, a, a story every night. She wanted me to tell her a story. And every night I'd start my story like this. Once upon a time, there lived this beautiful girl. And she had amazing, long, blonde hair. And she goes, it's me, isn't it? <laughs> and she had the biggest, bluest eyes in the whole land. It's me, isn't it? <laughs> and she had the prettiest little face. She was so pretty. Everyone used to tell her how pretty she was. It's me, isn't it? And not only was she pretty, because we don't want to just validate our girls by how they look. I said, she was also very smart. And she had an incredible sense of humour. She made everyone laugh. It's me, isn't it? And I just go through over and over all these incredible characteristics. And, and she was a great artist. And she used to do paintings for everyone in the land. And because she was so generous, she used to give them all away. It's me, isn't it? Our words are powerful. 
You might say, oh, fancy setting your kids up for fail. You start giving them that, they'll get a big head. I honestly believe that life, with all its tragedies, with all its heartache, will knock any big-headedness out of you. We don't need to keep people humble. Life has an incredible way of doing that all by itself. Our role and responsibility as pastors, leaders, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters are to encourage one another and speak words of life. To compliment, speak great words over people. That's hard for two reasons. One, because we're not used to doing it. And two, because we're not used to receiving it. And I would love one of the things that marks this church is our incredible affirmation of one another. I would love us to be known as a church that not only affirms, but also can receive that affirmation. Because if you don't receive it, you won't be able to give it. And that's why I'm a big believer when we're worshipping God and affirming God. That's where it starts. And if we're like this with God, it's only going to get worse when it comes to people. If we can't get excited about affirming our God, there's nothing better than seeing people's faces light up. When you make some of the smallest compliments about somebody's hair or the jacket that they're wearing. Just little things like that. Let alone the incredible qualities and attributes of people. Let us not be such a superficial society that we don't actually get to know each other and speak those kind words over people. Will you stand with me? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 